Welcome to the Powder Hounds Podcast, a podcast about just having fun skiing and riding. I'm your host, Jeff Shawman Shaw. It is Thursday, September 17, 2020, and we're recording live from Meadow Lane Studios. The theme of this episode is an outdoor state of mind. To get there, this episode will feature familiar segments, updates on the upcoming winter season, good ski news of the week-ish, the return of the snow report, with new topics including extreme outdoor dining and a feature about protecting our winners. The intro music for this episode was Flow Rider's My House, building on the theme of protecting our winners, in this case, protecting our winter house. So sit back, kick your feet up, relax, and enjoy the experience of everything skiing riding, Powderhounds. <laughs> our first segment is a familiar one, Shutdown Survival Kit. Yes, the things that I've been doing to survive these dark times. Though this one will be much shorter than previous meanderings. I call this version Decking Out. Continuing down the well-worn trail of the episode theme, An Outdoor State of Mind, here's how I'm keeping things interesting. Outside. My deck! Now, I mentioned this an episode or two ago that we spruced up our screened-in porch and outdoor deck to create a bit more atmosphere, as outdoor entertaining is basically our only regular social engagement setting. Now, I'm not claiming anything too grand yet. What's new? Well, I'm actually sitting outside right now on a picturesque fall morning, and I'll tell you. First up, we relocated, perhaps repurposed, our video game television in the basement, a medium-sized Samsung, which is now temporarily resting on an extra shelving unit with wheels. Now, this is a temporary solution because ultimately I'd like to mount it on an inner wall of the screened-in porch. The TV is now coupled with an extra HD antenna. Now, we cut the cord years ago and somehow ended up with two antenna kits. Practically, this is extremely useful for fall entertaining because... CBS, Fox, NBC all come in crystal clear, which means NFL games on Thursday and Sunday can be enjoyed by all. Now, I even brought up a special seat, the what I call the Coleman Boss Camping Chair, which we stumbled upon and bought years ago, but has a built-in or attached head pillow, multiple cup holders in the armrests, and even a footrest that pops up. It's super, super comfy. Just toss me an old comforter, and I, I may just be sleeping under the stars this weekend. Now, music. We obviously love to listen to music, as you know. We started with the Bose portable Bluetooth speaker, you know, the one that can fit in your back pocket. But we do have dual insignia mounted speakers on the porch. They were there before, long before any pandemic, and certainly enable us to turn up the volume when the mood is right. To keep folks, you know, comfortable, we have about a half dozen citronella candles to keep the bugs away. We have three planters for some color, and I'm even going to roll out the front gate fire pit in the typical middle of the yard space so that it's within view and within range of hearing those crackling logs. As we get into the deeper autumn and colder mornings and evenings, probably bring out the heater. We have two space heaters from our pre-house days, roughing it in rentals with questionable heat reliability. May just reunite the TV with the old video game units it was once connected to, though I need to avoid a maze of cords for people to trip over. But the thing I'm most excited about is the bumper pool table cover. So we have a bumper pool table in our basement. It is rarely used, mainly because the laundry sometimes gets stacked on top of it. But on the other side is an actual legitimate poker table. It's a felt surface, an octagon shape with 
individual areas, I guess placeholders for chips, cards, and even drinks. It, it looks really nice and our main table on the porch is just big enough to hold the really, really, really heavy <laughs> poker table. So that's something to look forward to, little cards, uh, cards at night, and uh, we'll see how maybe that goes. But next week does in fact mark the fall equinox, September 22nd, the official change from summer to fall. And with that, you know, it's just countdown clock to ski season. So again, hoping to entertain on the porch and patio late into the fall, maybe even into the winter. We'll see how things go. Who knows? We'll probably even bring out some decorations, uh, holiday decorations that is. You know, it's easy to maybe just grab some pine cones that have fallen from our from our pine trees and just litter them around the floor uh, and certainly pick up some pumpkins and trade those summer shandies for uh, pumpkin or cinnamon beers. And certainly by the time it's uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, get some holiday lights out here, and maybe some old skis that are collecting dust in the basement and uh, maybe even run a, run a ski boot light or something. I've seen those before, uh, and that doesn't seem that hard to do. So, who knows? We'll see what level of creativity is unleashed this fall and winter. The bottom line, in our quest to see friends and families, we will push the social boundaries on acceptable outdoor gathering way, way, way into the colder months. Why does any of this matter, you may ask? Well, we're not alone. More on what I mean by that shortly. But first, a quick snow report. If you are a skier or snowboarder, then you probably saw the weather headlines out in the Rockies last week. In a 24-hour period, the weather in Denver, Colorado went from 100 degrees and oppressive heat to a snow squall that left snow on the ground. Over a foot of snow was even found at higher elevations. Not surprisingly, ski areas wasted no time in saturating social media channels with videos and pictures of the fluffy white stuff to get that skiing and riding itch going. But there is one video from Winter Park in particular that warmed my heart. In black marker on a piece of discarded cardboard read, quote, is the pano open, end quote. The pano, for those that don't know, is short for the panoramic chairlift that brings one to the Parson Bowl and the Cirque Gates and all 12,000 feet of Winter Park's powdery goodness and glory. While I have not yet been able to confirm the identity, I swear I could recognize that red ski jacket, brown Carhartt pants, and gray wool winter hat anywhere. I'm looking at you, Moose Run. Moving on to our next segment, an outdoor state of mind. The outdoor theme is about to snowball. Now I want to highlight a story out of Maine which I could not help but chuckle, cheer, and well, embrace. Remember my commitment to entertaining family and friends outside on my patio into the colder months? Well, I'm not alone. And here is some motivation from vacation land. In the Portland Herald Press, an article read, Maine businesses look for ways to extend outdoor service into the colder months. Now, Andy Shepard, general manager of Saddleback Ski Area in Maine, recently resurrected, was quoted as saying, quote, the pandemic could be an opportunity to revisit Mainers' hardy heritage. If for no other reason than the mental health benefits of being outside during stressful times. The cold weather cultures of Canada and Northern Europe may be instructive. The article went on to talk about the creative uses of outdoor open air tents with the goal, of course, of keeping people outside well into the colder months. Sound familiar? So this so-called tent bonanza first started with hospitals, not surprisingly, setting up overflow spaces for potential COVID-19 patients. But soon after, as reopening started, restaurants, breweries, and even gyms followed. Now it's quite common to see propane-fired patio heaters under, under a tent. With September's arrival, now schools are even giving it a go, with Maine schools planning to hold at least some outdoor classes this fall. And hospitals and health clinics are again calling for tents to expedite fall flu shot clinics. Now, renting a big tent is an investment, 
a 50 foot long by 30 foot wide shelter can cost $15,000 or more for the season. Now, how long that season extends is an open question and would determine if this proposition is worthwhile for a business because permits by town determine how long and which businesses can operate an outdoor tent. Now, one-stop event rentals in South Portland said that the company's tents can handle light snowstorms and that a foreman is sent after storms to check on the tent's structural integrity. That sounds kind of promising. But to connect this back to the mountain, some restaurants asked customers if they would consider wearing ski gear in the colder months to extend outdoor dining capacity longer than originally planned. You know, really get your bang for your buck uh, uh, for $15,000. Apparently, most uh, customers said yes. After all, skiers and snowboarders are used to gathering outside around a fire pit to eat and drink after a day on the slopes. Though being surrounded by a bucolic scene of trails, snow, and trees is far different than being surrounded by buildings, cars, and noise of a downtown Main Street Center. Could you see yourself dining outside with your full ski gear in your hometown? Let me know. Let me know on Twitter at Powderhound Skis or email me at Podbean. Moving on to our next segment, good ski news of the week-ish. Now, speaking of Saddleback, Saddleback is back. After five years and several attempts, Saddleback Mountain in Rangley, Maine, near the Carabasset Valley in Sugarloaf, is opening again for skiing on December 15th. And by the way, when I say near, uh, I mean 40 miles or a one-hour drive. (laughs) As background, financial distress led to the five-year closure until it was purchased last January by the Arcteris Impact Fund of Boston, which apparently invests in economically distressed communities, and in particular, those that have lost their primary employer. Now, there are some big changes worth noting. First, a $7.2 million high-speed lift detachable quad will slingshot people up the mountain in four minutes. The previous old chairlift took 11 minutes to bring you to the same place was a common complaint of the skier experience. The lodge has been renovated with enhanced views in, in and increased seating capacity. Of course, who knows what that exactly will look like. And they have expanded snowmaking. In relation to COVID-19 safety precautions specifically, heated tents will be used to augment the rebuilt lodge. Tents will be used for walk-up ticketing, a covered area to eat lunch purchased from food trucks, and a nook for parents to watch children in ski school. Better yet, an anonymous donation was received and every child in Rangley, Maine's school system will receive a $50 Saddleback season pass for the next five years. Holy smokes, that is awesome. As Welcome Back Cotter would say, Welcome back, welcome back, Saddleback. Welcome back, welcome back, Saddleback. <laughs> Moving on to our next segment, winter is coming. It sure is. Now, before I get into the operating plan and season pass sales updates, I have a few grievances to air. The first, on September 1st, uh, my inbox was another victim of an email onslaught as many familiar names popped up in my inbox throughout the day. The likes of Indy, Icon, Stratton, MainPass, all shamelessly promoting their season pass products. Now, I'm just kidding. Of course, that's what you got to do. But couldn't you wait till after Labor Day? I personally remain in keep summer alive mode until that official end to summer, the autumn equinox. Yes, after September 22nd, it's all just one big countdown to the ski season. Second grievance, holy smokes, September 14th might as well have been National Icon Pass Day. (laughs) Now, if you skied any Icon Pass mountains or had the Icon Pass, then like me, you probably received multiple identical email updates from all the mountains you skied with the access update from Altera. Now, I'll dig into that shortly, but come on, guys. You had to know that was going to happen. Okay. Ski operations update. 
First, a quick disclaimer. I fully expect these plans to change as the pandemic evolves, better or for worse. None of this is set in stone. That said, I still think it's valuable to update potential customers, certainly season pass holders, and even past customers with a sense of what to expect for at least those first few opening weeks of the season. Now, Magic Mountain in Vermont, I need to give credit where credit is due. While Vail Resort's operations plan announcement was headline news, technically, Magic Mountain was way out in front with their modified operations plan for the upcoming winter season. Jeff Hathaway, the Magic president, did say that they were developing an online reservation and ticket system way back in the summer so that they can comply with capacity limits as needed. He also noted that they're likely going to spend more money while reducing capacity just in order to meet health and safety guidelines. In other words, no matter how good the snow season is, they're planning on making less money to maximize the safety of customers and staff. I plan to visit Magic Mountain this season. I hope you can check them out as well. Now, Big Snow in New Jersey was actually the first ski area to open this season. Now, technically, you might want to add an asterisk to that since they have a huge artificial advantage. They're an indoor ski area. Yes, that's right. Big Snow Park is within the American Dream Mega Complex and a whopping 180,000 square feet and 16 stories tall with a 160 foot slope. Now, Big Snow maintains a 28 degree Fahrenheit year round temperature and uses 5,500 tons of snow to create the slope. The mountain bills itself as the perfect place for beginners to learn, not to mention provide closer access to skiing and snowboarding for the millions of people that live in the New York City area. So congratulations, Big Snow, on being the first. In other uh, mountain news uh, updates, Stratton sent out a community update from Bill a few weeks ago. It was actually a pretty long message, a mix of wishy-washy phrases as well as some definitive information. An example of the wishy-washy was, uh, quote, depending on regulatory circumstances, a reservation program may be required during peak times. Another example, lift tickets may be available only by advanced purchase. On the definitive side, Bill said our parking patterns will be adjusted to provide guests more opportunity to access the lifts directly from their vehicle, enhance cleaning and require 24-hour vacancy between guests does reduce our inventory. We will also be adding another outdoor location that will offer scratch cooking in a grab-and-go format. Okay. And obviously, with uh, Altera's announcement, you could see why Bill was a little wishy-washy. Similarly, Mike Salamano, the president of Killington, was equally, well, not so much wishy-washy, but very choppy in the recently produced video message to pass holders. Now, I won't go through everything he said, but a couple nuggets were the Killington's opening much later than usual. Known to open in October, they are aiming for a mid-November opening date, so the uh, multiple top-to-bottom top to lifts are running. And uh, when those lifts are running, it'll be a 50% capacity on all lifts, which he states may lead to a better skiing experience. After all, 50% capacity means 50% less people on the slopes, I guess. Now, there will be no boot bags allowed in Killington Lodges this winter. Additionally, there is a parking reservation system with potential that was noted with potential for Altera to issue a system-wide reservation system for all Icon Pass Mountains. There's also no Opre ski opportunities in the lodge. You are instructed to warm up and get out as soon as possible. And of course the typical sanitation, distancing, and masks are part of their operating plans. Now finally I pulled some uh, similar <laughs> operating plans from Ski Bluewood way out in Washington State. Now they are launching an all point of sale system for everything that you would pay for at the mountain, food, tickets, rentals, lessons, merchandise. But the thing I want to uh, mention in on the pod is at the end of the announcement, there was a short poem that was included, whether or not it was intentional. I like to think it was. It is. It said, quote, ski well, be well. Please commit to working with us to keep Bluewood open. Don't be the reason we lose our season. Love that line. 
Wear your damn masks, people! Okay. Quick season pass notes. Jackson Hole halted... I think this was last week. Jackson Hole halted selling season passes and other lift ticket products, citing capacity limits. So they looked into the early uh, sales and said, whoa, we got a lot of people planning to come here this winter. So um, while season pass holders will not be required to make reservations, I believe those pass holders with uh, an Epic Pass will have to. So be aware of that. And anyone who has already purchased any season pass product from Jackson Hole will have full mount access without limitations per the terms of the agreement uh, that is stated by the FAQ. So again, if you're headed to Jackson, be aware of that. Now, IndyPass update is not so much an update, more of a correction on my part. Last pod, I misinformed the credit policy. It's actually an 80% credit towards a season pass for next season. If you don't use it at all, 60% credit for if you use one day, 40% credit if you use two days, 20% if you use three days. So I was off by 5%. I apologize if that was uh, confusing to anybody, but I just want to get it right. One thing to be aware of uh, in the next couple weeks, Ski Vermont traditionally sells their four or, well, now it's a four pack, used to be a three and a five pack, uh, lift, ticket, uh, uh, lift ticket packs, flexibility packs essentially. On October 1st, they sell it quickly. I have not seen the email for that announcement yet, but I'm sure it will be popping in my inbox soon. So keep that in mind. And now to Icon. Icon, well, let's start with the easy thing. <laughs> First, Icon added a mountain to their uh, network, Red Mountain in British Columbia. Though for those of us who live in the U.S., it is irrelevant as the borders are still closed. So maybe next year. But to the main event, yes, on Monday morning, the press release of the week rusty gregory the altera ceo delivered his access update now in my uh, introductory remarks of this segment i joked about the multiple identical emails i received from different mountains uh, well i've learned that they sort of had to do that because altera isn't really while they have a framework for other partner mountains they're essentially letting the individual mountains decide for themselves what to do for their winter operations of course, within the public health and safety guidelines of their respective states. What is clear, like Vail Resorts, uh, Icon and Altera are going to take care of the season pass holders. There is no walk-up lift ticket sales or undated lift ticket products. There is no childcare. There's no bars. The main difference is that Altera is not implementing a system-wide reservation system. They don't believe it's needed at this time. However, Eight of the 38 ski areas will require reservations, and a few are pending reservation systems, while the others, again, don't re think it's required at this time. Well, of course it's not required at this time. No one's skiing. Uh, but uh, I'm imagining that uh, maybe they're looking at their sales and uh, past behavior of renewal customers and where they're going to be skiing. They think that uh, they have adequate, um, you know, there's adequate capacity even within capacity limits. So the eight of the eight, Two are in the Northeast, Loon in New Hampshire, Wyndham in New York. The other six are out West, A Basin, Big Sky, Brighton, Jackson Hole, The Summit, and Taos. So without even going any further into this, basically, if you plan to ski anywhere this season, you need to check out that ski area's website, go to their Twitter feed, read their policies, understand their pass and capacity limits. Just quite frankly, know before you go. Moving on to our featured segment, Protect Our Winters. But before we tighten our boots and clip in for the featured segment of this Outdoor State of Mind episode, a quick word on this and future podcasts. The abrupt end to last year's ski season put a pretty big wrinkle in my vision for the podcast. As the earliest episodes illustrate, the goal was pretty simple and straightforward. Episodes would be in person, fresh off the hill, that apre vibe, post-ski day reflections, some storytelling, and a few trivia games to generate plenty of laughs. The inability to gather in person has, like most things, forced the podcast to Zoom land. The throwback episodes will likely remain the format of guest episodes until we wind up on the hill again. Hopefully it's sooner rather than later. I hope retelling tales from the mountain is an enjoyable listen even if you were not there. No doubt you have similar, probably better, stories on and after the slopes. 
Through the solo summer series episodes, I've learned that I can yammer on for a good chunk of time given an interesting topic. The fascinating, complicated, and ever-changing ski industry is certainly an interesting one, and untangling that vast cobweb has been more fun than expected. The people, the places, the travel, the conditions, the history, the culture, the out-year capital plans. (laughs) You name it, skiing and riding has so many interesting pieces. I mean, just take a term like death cookies, certainly a commonly known term and unfortunate condition in the East that has nothing to do with tainted desserts. While the storytelling, joking around, and trivia games on the pod will remain the norm, expect the sprinkling in of other pieces to solve the ski industry puzzle. Hopefully that information will be interesting, if nothing else, solid material for trivia questions in future episodes. That brings us to today's featured topic, Protect Our Winters, otherwise otherwise known as POW. (laughs) P-O-W. Okay. POW has been on my mind for a while, as it blends my passion for the outdoors with my non-podcast profession of representing 501c3 nonprofit organizations, developing public policy, and encouraging civic engagement in all communities. Now, full disclosure, I'm proudly wearing a Protect Our Winters t-shirt. What is Protect Our Winters, you may ask? It's a 501c3 nonprofit focused on nonpartisan legislation on climate change. Yep, climate change. I said it, it's real, and we're going to talk why it shouldn't be such a polarizing topic. Now, POW is celebrating its 10-year anniversary with a worldwide network of 130,000 supporters. It's legit. POW... (laughs) POW helps passionate outdoor people protect the places and lifestyle they love from climate change. And everyone, that's the point of this segment. Now, before we get too deep into the POW, (laughs) that works so well, a couple thoughts about climate change. This topic boils down to like three things. Number one, clean air. Number two, clean water both of which are essential to living and breathing. Number three, just making better environmental choices. Protecting the earth. Okay, like it or not, the reality is that human behavior, our collective consumption, is a major contributor to carbon emissions that warms the planet and creates a domino effect of rapidly changing environmental conditions. Take melting sea ice. It contributes to sea level rise and loss of habitat for both wildlife and people that live on the coast. Not in some far off distant place, but in this country. (laughs) Another example. Right now, the West is ablaze thanks to wildfires. This unusual dry conditions, warming dries things, and whipping winds was a catastrophic combination. Now, it certainly didn't help that in one case, some knuckleheads who thought revealing the gender of their expected child via firework colors was a good idea. But boneheads aside, there are certainly threats to the mountains and mountain areas that we love, not to mention the potential for loss of human life, homes, businesses, you name it. But in this particular case, back bring it to the mountains, China Peak is being threatened by the 153,000-acre creek fire. Jeremy Jones, POW's founder, who I'll discuss in a bit, he lives in Tahoe and said just last night during the premiere of his documentary that this year has been by far the worst in his 25 years of living in Tahoe, both wildfires as well as the warming temperatures. He said smoke is constantly in the air. And with the pandemic, we all know how incredibly important it is to be able to be outside and they just can't do it right now and it doesn't look like it's slowing down um, anytime soon unfortunately mount hood national forest is closed due to extreme conditions and that smoke uh, in thanks to the forest fires our friends and i'm sure you have other friends that live on the west coast our friends live outside san francisco and said one of the wildfires is only five miles from their house and they're really worried about it. Now, just to really emphasize this, the point of this, 
Um, here's a quote from Governor Jay Inslee of Washington State. California, Oregon, Washington, we are all in the same soup of cataclysmic fire. Charlie Warzel, a Times opinion writer in Montana, said, Life across much of the American West is miserable right now, and global warming is at least partly to blame. Climate change has increased the frequency of very hot days, droughts, and by extension, wildfires. So there's three, or there's a couple examples, and there's mountains worth of data, but we're not going to go deep into those woods. No, no, no. But to learn more, stick to actual scientists. There's plenty from around the world that are studying the environment. The best source is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the United Nations body for assessing the science related to climate change and offering adaptation or mitigation options. There are also plenty of colleges and universities studying this. And I hope, I hope, I hope that the college graduates that are, that are going to be produce, produced by those schools, a lot of them are going to take climate change on and force the change. So sorry for the long sidebar. Back to protect our winners. Now, who makes up Protect Our Winters, you may ask? Well, from the website, quote, community of athletes, scientists, creatives, and business leaders advancing nonpartisan policies that protect our world today and for future generations. So here are some familiar names, if not faces. On the athlete side, Olympic gold medalist Ted Ligety, gold medalist in alpine skiing, Olympic gold medalist Chloe Kim, snowboarding i believe in torino tommy caldwell the climber perhaps most famous for free climbs on el capitan and a quick sidebar thank you chris miller for popping this on at midnight after a long long day at the battery brody levin an adventure skier who recently released a short film lost using the outdoors as an avenue for hope while overcoming personal and professional loss that's right the outdoors our land our environment is important coping and for finding optimism and hope in the world. On the brand side of the POW Alliance, you have Burton and Patagonia, North Face, REI, Sierra, uh, Sierra Nevada, and New Belgium. So even big business, even big beer business, <laughs> is, is buying into this and recognizing that, again, clean water is important for making beer, as an example. Um, on, the sci on the Science Alliance side, there's ecologists, professors, glaciologists, and other ologists that I can't pronounce that are part of POW's Alliance. <laughs> on the creative side, there are filmmakers, bands, phot photographers, writers, artists that are all working with POW and their own networks to advance this idea. And of course, uh, there's international chapters in Canada and Europe. So I like to think of who's who is POW? Basically, they're people that you'd want to be seated next to at a random wedding reception table or standing in the corner at your next cocktail party. <laughs> you, want, you want to talk to these people because they've lived the life, they've lived the life outdoors and know what they're talking about and have a story to tell. So why? Why is this important? So the goal of POW is to achieve carbon neutrality by 2050 or to advance policies toward achieving carbon neutrality by 2050. That's a mere 30 years from today. And don't smirk, it's actually possible. And, I, and quite frankly, the last, I don't know, 15 years or so have flown by for me personally. So yeah, so 30 years just isn't that far away. Now to get there, POW believes the world must achieve four policy goals. Number one, we need to go all in on renewable energy. Number two, electric transportation, number three, carbon pricing policies, and number four, prevent fossil fuel extraction on public lands. Yep, those are the four. Easy to understand and surprisingly doable since all four of those things are kind of happening in some capacity, just not nearly enough in enough places and which pace is far, far too slow. Indeed, these issues should not necessitate nuclear charged partisan throwdowns. The cleaner, greener economy is promising. Take electric transportation. Love him or hate him, Elon Musk Tesla is kind of killing it. Charges are quicker than ever. The network of charging stations continues to grow. Even the performance of the vehicle and battery power is getting better and lasting longer. One of my best friends has a Tesla and attests to this analysis. Sure, 
affordability and direct sales in some states remain hurdles. That same buddy's dad even said the small SUV, I believe the Model X, can go from zero to 60 in three seconds and is faster than in, than any combustion engine vehicle he's ever driven. And this particular dad has driven BMWs for the last 60 years, for what it's worth. Admittedly, that's a simple example, but a decade ago, many people would have or did scoff at the vision. We have three decades until 2050 to be to realize a carbon neutrality or at least get on that path and to figure out how to power our world more efficiently, reliably, and safely. All right, a little bit about the founder, Jeremy Jones, the found and the roots of POW. So Jeremy Jones was the National Geographic 2013 Adventurer of the Year for summiting and snowboarding some of the most remote peaks in the world. He's an avalanche safety trainer through Utah Avalanche Center and has uh, been exploring the mountains for over 40 years and has witnessed changes in the snow. And that's really why he got involved in this campaign and this effort, literally living in the snow and realizing that it's changing dramatically in just his uh, 40 years. Now, Jones was recently interviewed ahead of his uh, what is now released documentary. It was released last night, and I'll, uh, I'll, I was able to watch the premiere, and I will comment on it shortly. But rather than try to reinvent an interview series of questions, I'm just going to highlight a few things he said. So number one, the personal connection to the environment. This is the thing that everybody, right or left, can agree upon. We all have some connection, right? And why we care about the land, the environment, because we are passionate about doing certain things out outdoors. So here was his. Now he's a snowboarder who spent a lot of time at a North Canada a ski area in North Canada that closed because it basically just doesn't snow there anymore. Now I'm paraphrasing this, but he said that it would be heartbreaking if the ski areas we enjoy now won't be around in 20 to 30 years and we realize we could have been part of a movement to do something about it. And, you know, I, yeah, that strikes a chord because, you know, I've also, you know, noticed that, um, you know, it's uh, sometimes it's harder and harder to, um, you know, get get to the mountain because they're not open. They're opening later and uh, the snow isn't falling as frequently as it once did. Now, in the documentary, I'm going to highlight shortly there are also some pretty dire projections that by 2080 there will be only three weeks of winter so yeah it may stop snowing at your favorite mountain if we do nothing so that was the first thing the per personal connection to the to the environment is why we care about the climate number two personal choices jones says as important as it is to make good personal choices, and these are the things like carpooling, using reusable water bottles, you know, the really easy things. We need to, we need large scale systemic change. And the only way we're gonna do that is if we get our leaders pushing for that change. Sure. But that's, and that's where the four policy goals come into play. The good news is large scale systemic change doesn't necessarily have to happen just in DC might be surprised to hear, but only a few hundred bills pass each year in Congress versus over 60,000 in the 50 states and territories. While unquestionably we need and want federal leadership on these issues, states can get the ball rolling on change. And best practices are often embraced quickly by leaders seen by their constituents as doing nothing compared to their counterparts in neighboring towns, counties, and states. Now, Jones does does also you know give us some some hard truth. It's no secret that our country is currently run by climate deniers, and we're going backwards at a time when we need to charge forward. the The, the evidence is on the wall. <laughs> the current administration eliminated 200 policies aimed at reducing CO2 emissions since 2016. Now he admits it'll be an uphill climb, but if a human can free climb El Cap then surely we could develop policies to protect our natural world while still creating opportunities and economic activity. Okay, a few words about this uh, new documentary that just aired last night, September 16th, which I was able to attend live, Purple Mountains. Now, it's a one-hour film, and really 
Jeremy Jones and the director, Bones, uh, were trying to search for common ground with people who ski, ride, climb, and hunt. That common ground is the love for the outdoors and the environment, whether it's your job is based outside or you, you recreate outside. But then they vote for climate deniers or themselves climate doubters. So the first takeaway is that, number one, it's important to have conversations in person. That might sound like a terrible idea because everyone's so hot and heated these days, but it does tend to be more civil than the online cesspool of ideas that is a chat box or, you know, posts. And, you know, you can look someone in the eyes and really, you know, have a, have a real conversation. So you might not change their mind, but even just uh, getting maybe past uh, finding some common ground on, on the issue, like electric vehicles would be a good thing to, you know, to make more of. <laughs> to get more people driving um that kind of thing and just 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 to uh (laughs) highlight yeah just just talk if he can talk in person even on the chat during the premiere q a after the premiere a couple people started bickering about little details of the film that they thought could have been done better and ended up spitting some real hate at each other (laughs) i was like what guys you kind of missed the point of this thing number two it's critical to educate kids the soon-to-be voters the next generation of voters about environmental issues before they are blindsided by the lies, the marketing, the campaign commercials. They will be inheriting the world that the older generation is leaving them in whatever condition we're leaving them. Um, and, you know, it's it's really our responsibility to, to educate them and to get them to care about the earth and to, um, you know, to... to yeah, to care about the earth. That's it. <laughs> Number three, for all the snowboarding sequences, the video footage, there were no lifts that were used. So, you know, Jones is, um, you know, and the people he interviewed uh, or rode with, you know, used good old-fashioned foot power. So they're walking the walk, literally, trying to reduce their carbon footprint, certainly for the film. And uh, for those of us who don't regularly explore the backcountry, this may be the season to give it a go, you know? No one really wants to be in a long lift line, so uh, if there's places to explore on foot, hike up, ski down, ride down, uh, this is the year to do it. Number four, Jones also points out a difficult truth to accept, but I think it's probably true. I I couldn't really fact check this, but it sounds right. No politician has yet to lose his or her seat you know, lose re-election based on climate inaction. But once that happens, more politicians will likely think twice about continuing to deny that climate climate change is real and finally get to the point of debating the right policies to grow the economy and protect threatened places. That's where we want to be. And finally, you know, the story arc from uh, was was really noticeable from, you know, Jeremy Jones, from him as this, again, world class snowboarder. You know, the opening scene in the film had him, you know, on a on a uh, on a rope on, you know, maybe one of the tallest, most intimidating looking summits I've seen uh, alone (laughs) as the snows, you know, fallen beneath the snowboard, you know, really focusing on him as the adventurer skiing these remote, tall, you know, peaks. You know, all the way, you know, fast forward to the father as the film ends with him snowboarding with his two kids and his wife and, you know, them having just this awesome day, you know, sun shining, plenty of, you know, untracked powder that they're um, they're just having this this great run and, and a great day. And, you know, I think we all can probably relate to that wanting to have lots of opportunities for those moments with our families and friends. But remember what I said about 2080, you know, three weeks of winter. And, you know, it's a real, it's a, there's a real possibility that the winter that we know and we we grew up in, you know, our children may not have that. And certainly their children may not have that if we don't, you know, change course on our, on our behavior towards the environment. So a final thought to end on a high note. <clears throat> uh, I also liked how they intentionally rolled the end credits to America the Beautiful and those <laughs> purple mountain majesty. So that's uh, Purple Mountains, the documentary. You can find it uh, online. Again, it premiered last night, and I think it's wildly avail- widely available now and certainly on Powell's website. So the timing of Jones' work could not be better. Certainly there's a national election on November 3rd, but 2010 to 2019 was the warmest decade on record. 
Time of action is now. So let's talk about some action. First, I'm gonna leave you with four numbers and then talk about some actions that Pow's working on to uh, mobilize the outdoor community. Now these four numbers may surprise you. First, 50 million. According to Pow, the outdoor state is 50 million strong. Yes, this is the theme of the episode, <laughs> the last time I'll mention it. That includes skiers, snowboarders, trail runners, climbers, mountain bikers, hunters, and anglers. Now sure, most of them do not know about POW, but that's not the point. The point is, in some way, they care about the outdoors and the environment of which their profession or recreation is based. POW is simply trying to protect it. Uh, second number, 138 million. According to Business Insider, about 138 million Americans voted in the 2016 presidential election. Sounds like a lot of people, right? <laughs> it's not, but hold that thought. Third number, 40%. Though of those 50 million people who care about the outdoors, that makes up about 40% of the $138 million total, million, million total electorate. Holy crow, that's quite a potential voting block, right? Though, you know, uh, according to the United States Election Project, and this is where I told you to hold that thought, it's important to note that of those 138 million Americans, that only makes up 58.1% of our voting eligible population. That is disgraceful participation. Democracy requires participation, people. So let's do what we can to get our family, our friends to register, pledge, and actually vote. Here's what POW is doing to mobilize the outdoor community. Number one, they're sending the pledge. <laughs> So research shows that when a friend asks another friend to vote, they're twice as likely to cast their ballot. <laughs> the POW community held an internal competition among the ski, ride, trail, and climb teams. They sent hundreds of messages over the summer urging friends and families to pledge to vote in the primary, all the while earning points for their outdoor team. And incidentally, Team Ski crushed it. Number two, the postcard pledge. The talented Creative Alliance of POW created a one-of-a-kind artwork that can be purchased by making a simple pledge to vote on the online forum. It's simple. You choose one of six unique postcards, fill in your address, pen yourself or a friend, a personal reminder to vote. POW will mail it for you and or your friends, and it's free of charge. It's kind of fun to get a kind of cool-looking you know, artwork postcard in the mail in a couple weeks to remind you to vote. <clears throat> the uh, third thing, the voting tool, makeadampledge.org. Now it's out there, voter suppression efforts, as well as misinformation aimed at creating doubt with the election processes and worse, the results. Now due to the pandemic, absentee ballot access has been expanded in many states and some people will be using it for the first time. They need to be educated and reminded about what to do and when to do it. Every state's different. Now, POW staff set up a website, again, makeadamplan.org, to help. They will guide you through requesting an absentee ballot, print your application, and mail it to you with a pre-stamped return envelope. Really, they're planning to do this. <laughs> uh, and then help plan your approach to the polls if you have to go to vote in person. Number four, learning opportunities. Lunch and learns are a regular thing in the POW network. I participated in one on the topic of mail-in ballots hosted with an election official in Utah, a state that has been using mail-in voting for the last 10 years, as well as a, the host was from Oregon who's been using mail-in voting since 1996. Bottom line, it works, it's safe. There is no wise, widespread fraud. It actually doubled turnout in many cases. It's just easier that way rather than one day, you know, in, in a short amount of time to stand in line and have to do it in person. But every state's rules are different, and that's important. You need to know what your state's rules are. Another interesting takeaway that is soup from this conversation that was super important to keep in mind, but is almost always forgotten, is that elections are never certified. In other words, an official winner is declared until weeks after Election Day when all the absentee ballots are counted and the voter rolls are cross-checked. The media coverage on Election Night is always unofficial results, despite candidates declaring victory and opponents conceding. Now, again, they can do that to, with, with um, you know, uh, likely success uh, based on each precinct 
reporting their numbers live. They're read um, in many states when uh, after the, the polling locations close and then the staff working those campaigns relay, relay that information back to the headquarters. So that's uh, how a lot of that happens. This is important since, uh, but you know, again, knowing, knowing that there's going to be more ballots than ever will be cast by mail or absentee. Thus, it could take even more time to count and certify results. So again, you know, if there's opportunities and conversations with friends and family, it might just be good to, to, to let them know that that likely could be the case um, in, uh, in, in any tightly um, <clears throat> tight races. POW also offers free speaker series, Tales from the Trails, Stoke the Vote, climate impact panels, and plenty of opportunities to get involved well after the election. Now, number five, pledge to vote. POW has an online form to just pop in your email or cell phone number to receive reminders on upcoming deadlines to cast your ballot leading up to election day. Now, you've heard this before, but it bears repeating. This election is the most important of our lifetime. To be clear, every election, more specifically, the next election, is the most important of our lifetime because the outcome will dictate what path our leaders take us down for the next two, four, even six years. And believe it or not, undoing public policy is often harder than passing new legislation. Think about it. Just one person can kill a bill that they don't want to change an issue they care about. Entrenched interest groups lobbying against changing something. Um, so, you know, just keeping that in mind. Now, POW is plowing along through some cruddy issues <laughs> another east coast skiing reference yet offers a unifying message on their pledge to vote webpage for the 50 million outdoor state voters quote even from a distance our outdoor community is unified by our passions together we are bigger and more influential than the biggest state in the u.s because when we stand together to protect our outdoor playgrounds from the effects of climate change, our voices and our impact will be unstoppable. Pledge to vote with Outdoor State this fall. Well said, protect our winters. Well said. I am actually going to leave it there. Let's go out on a profound note. Let's protect our winter house. Thank you to my listeners. Follow me on Twitter at Powderhound Skis, or better yet, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcast Manager. Just type Powderhound Ski and Ride. Until next time, see you on the slopes, Powderhounds. Welcome to my house, baby, take control.